One Week Season. OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, Hilo here bringing you this week's installment of the Underdog Theory Session for July 5th. As always, this will be released at 7 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday, and on this as promised, on this session as promised, we are going to discuss the new format on Underdog, being the Underdog Theory Session, new contest, let's theorize, baby, and that is the weekly winners. We'll jump right into it. We've got a lot to cover here. I'm going to try and keep it within reason, 30 to 45 minutes. Let's jump in. The weekly winner's contest. What the hell is it? Contest where you draft as if it's a best ball contest, but it is played and paid as a weekly DFS contest. It has 261,000 entries. So if we think of... The immediate differences here between a best ball contest and the weekly winners contest, we're effectively playing a Millie maker every single week. So 261,000 entries, but we're doing it with a single roster that we draft via a snake roster before the start of the NFL season. So a lot of theoretical concepts kind of get lumped into that initial you know, breaking down what this contest is. And we're going to talk a lot about some of the positional factors that come into effect through a best ball draft. It is a $15 entry, 150 max contest. So total 2250 buckaroos if you are maxing this bad boy. Overall, it is paid on a weekly basis as we previously discussed that means or i guess that basically is paid out as follows 20,000 top prize per week paid out to the number 1 out of 261,000 players but if we look at the kind of payout structure it is a flat payout structure but we are only paying 7,315 teams per week So while that is a low portion of the field, only 2.8% to be exact, each draft or each roster that we put into these has 17 chances at reaching a top 2.8% outcome. So that equates to about a 47% chance to min cash at least once. What is the min cash? The min cash is $10 on a $15 entry. And we have to basically finish between the top 1,001 and the top 7,315 total teams in a given week to hit that min cash threshold and get $10 back on our $15 entry. So while it looks like we have some sustainability here, it's flat payouts, about just under 10% of the total weekly payouts are going to the first place. It's um, it pays out two hundred and five thousand dollars per week and twenty thousand up top, so just under ten percent. So, 
While it looks flat on paper, we do have to realize that only 2.8% of the field are caching on a given week. And we're going to talk about what that means theoretically here shortly as well. So that's the contest. That's the payout. That's the expected value. 47% chance to min cash at least once and recoup $10 of our $15 entry. Let's jump into some theoretics, shall we? So in a contest with 261,000 entries, the first glaring assumption that we need to have going into our drafts is that you are likely going to need the highest scoring player for a given week at both quarterback and tight end in order to win. Furthermore, since only 2.8% of teams are cashing on a given week, you are likely going to need either the optimal quarterback or the optimal tight end to even have a chance at cashing. Why is that important to us as we try and generate our game plan to attack this contest? Well, first of all, well, I guess we will explore that. I think this is a better way to put it. We'll explore that by looking at the weekly finishes for the optimal quarterback and tight end last season. I'll read these through slowly, and then we will pull out some interesting trends and some definitely interesting data points from these values. In week one, Patrick Mahomes was the optimal quarterback. Travis Kelsey was the optimal tight end. Week two and week three, it was Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. Week four was optimal quarterback Jared Goff, optimal tight end TJ Hawkinson when he played for Detroit prior to getting traded. Week five, Josh Allen and Taysom Hill. Week six, Joe Burrow and Mike Gesicki. Sorry, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. Week seven, Joe Burrow and George Kittle. Week eight, Tua Tungabailoa and Tyler Conklin. Week nine, Justin Fields, Dallas Goddard with Cole Komet finishing second at tight end. Week 10, Justin Fields, Cole Komet. Week 11, Joe Burrow for the third time and Travis Kelsey. Week 12, Josh Allen, Dalton Schultz with a two-touchdown game. Week 13, Jalen Hurts and Taysom Hill again. Week 14, Trevor Lawrence, Evan Ingram. Week 15, Jalen Hurts, George Kittle. Week 16, Dak Prescott and TJ Hawkinson, now on a different team in Minnesota. And then finally, week 17, Tom Brady and Dalton Schultz. So some big glaring takeaways from this list of optimal quarterbacks and tight ends from the 2022 season. Six of the 17 weeks, or I should say in six of the 17 weeks, the optimal quarterback and tight end was a pairing or a correlation or teammates. We had Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey do it in week one. We had Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews do it in week two and week three. We had Jared Goff and TJ Hawkinson do it in week four. 
We had Justin Fields, Cole Komet do it in week 10. We had Trevor Lawrence and Evan Ingram do it in week 14. And Fields and Komet almost did it in week 9. Cole Komet finishing second. Furthermore, 12 of the 17 weeks, the optimal quarterback was one of the top five quarterbacks currently being drafted. Further, furthermore, only Joe Burrow was optimal more than twice, and he did it three times. So what we see is the elite quarterbacks are elite for a reason. Tight end is rather spread out, and we can definitely influence our hit rate by pairing our tight ends with our quarterbacks. Now, why is it important to capture the optimal quarterback and the optimal tight end? Well, we alluded to it earlier. Because only 2.8% of teams are cashing in a given week, we have to be optimal or as close to optimal as possible simply just to cash. We have to hit a 2.8%. So we have to hit a 97.2% outcome to simply cash in a given week. So at these two onesie positions, we have to be optimal. We're going to talk about what that means theoretically a little bit further or get a little bit more in depth into that. But first, let's look at the wide receiver and the running back positions. Only one wide receiver finished as the top overall scorer three times. That was Devontae Adams, CeeDee Lamb, Jamar Chase, Mike Evans, Justin Jefferson did it twice. Among those five wide receivers, Justin Jefferson finished top three, an astonishing seven out of 17 times. So, Elite wide receivers are elite for a reason. That said, Mike Evans kind of sneaks in there. Obviously, a lot has changed for Mike Evans moving from 2022 to 2023, but interesting nonetheless. At running back, only one player finished top at the position three times. That was Josh Jacobs. Austin Eckler and Jarek McKinnon were the only other two running backs to finish top at their position more than once, and they both did it twice. So we had five wide receivers that finished as the top overall scoring wide receiver on a given week more than once. We only had three running backs that did so. One of the five wide receivers is currently being drafted outside the first round. One of the, or sorry, two of the three running backs are currently being drafted outside the first round. So knowing, or I guess assuming and taking what we just talked about, theoretical optimal roster construction in this contest is very likely to be one quarterback, three running backs, 13 wide receivers, and one tight end. It would also be theoretically optimal to align bye weeks at running back as much as possible because now you have three shots on goal for two starting positions for 16 out of 17 weeks as opposed to 
two for potentially three of the 17 weeks. But, and I'm going to emphasize, but do we need theoretically optimal in order to win these contests? We started off this entire discussion by saying that this contest is akin or very, very similar from a field size perspective to the millimaker. Has optimal ever shipped the millimaker in its seven, eight years of existence? No. No team has ever landed on the optimal roster for a given week. And yes, it is not apples to apples. It is pretty much apples to oranges comparison, but it is important realization nonetheless, because in DFS, we're governed, we are constrained by different governing body being salary cap. Whereas in best ball, obviously we are utilizing a snake draft and you can build rosters very, very differently in those two differing contests. But if I were laying odds that anybody is going to land an optimal roster through this contest for the weekly winners on underdog, 261,000 entries at all this season, it would be astronomical. It is highly, highly unlikely that anybody is going to draft any weekly optimal roster in this contest. So while theoretical optimal highly is highly likely to be one quarterback, three running backs, 13 wide receivers, and one tight end, we have to look at the, the bads or compare in, in aviation. And when I'm briefing a flight, we say goods and others. So you do things good. And if you fuck up or you do things bad, we call it an other. We don't say it's a mistake. It's an other. It's something to work up, work on. It's something to focus on. So what are the goods and the others of theoretical optimal? The goods, we get more shots on goal per week at the more variant position of wide receiver, drafting 13 of them by going ones at the onesie positions of quarterback and tight end. But at the top of this discussion, we also discussed that there was only one quarterback that was optimal or the top overall scorer at the quarterback position more than twice, and it was Joe Burrow. That said, we did also discuss that 12 of the 17 optimal quarterbacks in 2022 were one of the top five quarterbacks being drafted in the current best ball landscape. Interesting, right? We also have to look at the tight end position if we're only drafting one. Mark Andrews was optimal twice. Taysom Hill was optimal twice. TJ Hawkinson was optimal twice. Cole Komet was optimal once, second twice. Travis Kelsey was optimal twice. George Kittle was optimal twice. And then who the hell else was optimal? Mike Gesicki once, Tyler Conklin once, Dallas Goddard once, Evan Ingram once. 
Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz did it twice. Woo-wee. The point here is if you're drafting rosters and you're drafting 150 of them and you're drafting one quarterback and one tight end, you are effectively saying that this roster is going to be competitive in this contest for a maximum of three weeks out of the 17 weeks. You are then saying that I will have the top overall scoring running back and the top overall scoring wide receiver, and I will fill it in with players that score well at their position at those respective positions. It is very, very unlikely that you will be able to do that in a given week and the stars will align. Even with 150 entries. If you could tell me that I could draft 150 rosters with, well, let's say, if I could draft 150 rosters with third round Josh Allen, if you could tell me right now I could do that every single draft, no matter where my draft slot is, I can draft draft Josh Allen in the third round. Would you then draft 150 rosters with only Josh Allen? That's theoretically optimal, right? But in practice, we do not need optimal to win this contest. We do not need optimal to ship the Millie Maker. What we most likely do need is optimal at quarterback and optimal at tight end. There were some other interesting things. Looking at the 2022 data, Justin Jefferson obviously stood out. He finished top overall scorer at the wide receiver position twice. He finished top three in Astonishing seven times. Jamar Chase is there. CeeDee Lamb is there. Devontae Adams was there. Cooper Cup finished top three at the wide receiver position twice over his first eight weeks prior to getting injured. So these hit rates, Justin Jefferson being top three seven out of 17 times, that is cheat code. That is team jam him in. He is finishing top three 41.2% of the time. Cooper Cup finished top three at the position 25% of the time in his healthy games. So elite wide receivers, cheat codes. Elite quarterbacks, cheat codes. Elite quarterbacks finished as the top overall scorer, and we'll say the top five quarterbacks, finished as the top overall scorer 12 of 17 times. That's 70.59% of the time. The optimal quarterback was one of the top five quarterbacks being drafted. So what can we do in practice to position ourselves in the best spot to realize and maximize expected value? I would argue that in practice, the optimal roster construction would be three quarterbacks with two of them being elite, three running backs, nine wide receivers, and three tight ends with the, oh, by the way, the asterisk of every tight end should optimally be stacked with his quarterback. There are outliers in that. 
George Kittle is a good example of an outlier at the tight end position. Taysom Hill is a good example of an outlier at the tight end position. Those two guys are guys that can do it on their own without their quarterback succeeding. Taysom, because he's this weird gadgety, I'll play every position on the field role. George Kittle, because he can rip off two, three touchdowns with his quarterback not doing much else. So that's very interesting. Those are the two guys that I would be looking to draft at a heightened rate in this contest where it values spike week potential at the onesie position so heavily. Other than that, I'm almost always looking to stack my tight ends with my quarterbacks because the hit rate is higher than the utilization rate by the field. Hence, we are organically generating leverage and we're doing it by doing something as simple as ensuring that we stack tight ends with quarterbacks. And that doesn't have to be just the elites. I want to do that as much as possible in this contest. So the fact that we need optimal quarterback and tight end, because we have to finish the top 2.8% of all teams in play on a given week to even cash, and that's a min cash, and that's make $10 back on our $15 investment. But we also, at the same time, generally know where those are coming from at a high rate. Again, 12 of 17 of the optimal quarterbacks in 2022 were, are currently being drafted in the top five at the position. And we also know that stacking your quarterback with your tight end increase, increases your hit rate. Also increases leverage because the field is utilizing it at a lower rate than its hit rate. So what does that mean as we're building teams as we're drafting rosters? Tier one wide receivers above all else in this format. Simply, I do not think that I will draft a first round running back at all in this contest. I want Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Monte Adams, Tyreek Hill, CeeDee Lamb, Amon Ross St. Brown probably can be thrown into this tier in this format. Furthermore, I want to basically 100% of the time be drafting a wide receiver in both rounds one and two. Why is that? The hit rate of tier one and tier two wide receivers finishing top three at their position is higher than the hit rate of running backs in tier one and tier two finishing top two at their position. I want to then draft two elite quarterbacks of the top five, and I want to pair those quarterbacks with their tight end. I want to take on all the extreme variance wide receivers in the middle rounds, the boom wide receivers, the Tyler Lockett's who finished top three at the position four times last season, the Rashad Bateman's in an increased role, the Gabe Davises who finished first at wide receiver position on his fluky like three catch for 198 yards and two touchdown game the Kadarius Tonys the Mike Evans is I want to take on these extreme wide range of outcomes wide receivers in the middle rounds I want to mix in middle to late round variant running backs 
with the running backs that I take in the third to the fifth round. But primarily in rounds three to five, I'm looking at quarterback. So the blueprint of attacking these from a theoretical and practical perspective is very, very clear. We want wide receiver in round one and two. We want to vary those pairings. We want elite quarterbacks, two elite quarterbacks in rounds three to five. And whatever we are not taking a quarterback between rounds three, round rounds three and five, we are taking either an upside running back or we are taking an elite ceiling wide receiver. Rounds six to 12 are where we mix in these wide range of outcomes, wide receivers. We mix in our tight ends. And I should say we can add tight ends into that third to fifth round bucket as well, because something like two elite wide receivers in round one rounds, one and two, and then an elite quarterback paired with a Lamar Jackson type Mark Andrews or um, grabbing your TJ Hawkinson shares in there. That is completely viable as well. But almost across the board, through all of my 150 rosters, I want to build three quarterback, three running back, nine wide receiver, three tight end rosters. I want to be taking two wide receivers with my first two picks. I want to be taking two elite quarterbacks between rounds three and five. And I want to be mixing in wide receiver, running back, and tight end with the other pick in rounds three to five. I want to be targeting a very, very specific archetype of wide receiver in those middle rounds. And I want to be embracing uncertainty at the running back position, even though I'm only drafting three of them. If I leave a draft and my running backs are Brian Robinson and... Oh, God. I mean, look at last year. Jarek McKinnon came out of nowhere. He was being drafted pretty late, and he finished the top overall scoring running back twice. Obviously, guys like Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler gain a bit of increased importance in this format, but it does not offset, particularly for Austin Eckler, does not offset the hit rate of your top tier wide receivers. So again, I'm almost bypassing Christian McCaffrey, Bajon Robinson, Austin Eckler entirely. I will have very little Nick Chubb. I will have very little Tony Pollard. It's not until we start getting to the Ramondre Stevenson's plus that I'll be mixing in the lower and tier two running backs. So the, the running backs who are kind of on the RB1, RB2 border. It's as simple as the hit rate at the wide receiver position through the lens of a single week is much higher than at running back. And we can make up running back production through volume and embracing variance by touchdowns. I mean, look at Deontay Foreman last year. He had a three touchdown game. We want to be embracing as much variance at running back, but the mindset there is not, I need to make up running back production for all 17 weeks of a best ball contest. It is, I need to hit once. So I'm never going to draft more than three running backs. I will probably will mix in 
a lot of two running back builds if I can get those two running backs on the same bye week. Because again, that increases the chances that we're live. So overall, the governing strategy here, the blueprint is very, very clear from a theoretical standpoint in practice. It is also very clear from a theoretical optimal, but we don't necessarily need to be targeting theoretical optimal. We don't need optimal to win this contest. What we need is optimal in a given week at quarterback and tight end. That is the blueprint. That is the starting point. That is the primary decision point. So yes, the pushback, and I've already had these discussions on on the Twitter machine. I've had these discussions in private. The pushback on 1-3-13-1 versus 3-3-9-3 roster construction-wise the pushback from the onesies at the onesie position is that they're going to have more shots on goal from the wide receivers when their quarterback hits. 100%. I cannot argue against that. But the chances of hitting the optimal quarterback at best, looking at historical data, you're going to get three of those out of a 17-week season. So now, say you have, going back to the Josh Allen example, say you could draft Josh Allen in the third round every single draft. You just knew you could do it. It's a free square. Are you then going to make all those rosters one quarterback builds? Theoretically optimal the answer is probably yes, but in practice, that shrinks your margin of error down to an infinitesimally small value where you are still playing the lottery. If we could simulate or if we could play out this season infinitely, we could continue, we could, we could run a computer program that would simulate this season out until the end of time. All of my entries in this contest would be one quarterback, three running backs, 13 wide receivers, and one tight end. But the fact that we can only run this simulation out once means that we should theoretically wait increasing our portfolio's shots on goal. And we can do that by running three quarterback, three running back, nine wide receiver, and three tight end builds with all three tight ends paired with our quarterbacks and or taking the upside outliers at the position, namely being George Kittle, Taysom Hill. That's it. That is all I am looking to do. And I will max, max this contest out. I'm not going to start for another maybe week or so but I will max this contest out and almost I would say probably 90% of my entries in this contest are going to be three quarterback, three running back, nine wide receiver and three tight end. Probably eight of the remaining 10% will probably be, be will probably be three quarterback, two running back with the same bye week, 10 wide receivers and three tight ends. 
that simply gives you fewer dead weeks. And if you stick to the blueprint of drafting wide receiver in rounds one and two, based on the current draft landscape, we maintain our ability to have a top overall wide receiver production wise hit when our top overall 1.01 quarterback and 1.01 tight end do. So with only a portfolio of 150 rosters, if you're maximizing this, you might, and this is like 0.00103% chance have a chance at shipping a given week by giving yourselves two elite plus a late round quarterback. And we're talking, I would, I would say middle to late round. So we're talking probably the Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford plus type range at quarterback. Obviously two is going to be in there, but mixing those guys in with two of the top five quarterbacks per ADP, we can increase our chances of getting to the top and having shots on goal and having those stars align over a portfolio of only 150 entries. And I say only, that seems like a lot for a lot of people. But if you look at the grand scheme of things, 150 chances. And if you, if we break it down statistically and say, what are the chances of just landing the optimal quarterback and the optimal tight end on a given week? And we multiply that value by 150 rosters, you're looking at about 6% to do it once. Take that 6% and then factor in, I have to be near optimal at running back and wide receiver across six total positions, two running back, three wide receiver, and a flex. The odds of doing that are borderline astronomical. So by giving ourselves three chances to do that on every roster at both quarterback and tight end, we're opening ourselves up to a wider range of expected value and a more chances for shots on goal to hit that magical roster where we're beating 261,000 entries in a given week. Because again, min cash, if you do it once, you still have to hit top 2.8% of total entries in this contest to make back two-thirds of your entry. This is very, very much, even though the payout appears flat, this is very, very much a top-heavy contest. It is ship or bust, and we need to be building that way. And I am of the opinion that we can do that best by drafting three quarterbacks with two of them being elite via this blueprint I have laid out. So that is going to do it for us for today. We might have some more stuff to talk about this weekly winners contest over on underdog on tomorrow's episode. But as always, you know where to find me. I'm Hilo. Find me in discord. Find me on Twitter. With that, we'll see you in the draft lobbies. We'll see you at the top of the board.